Welcome back to the Noble Man Podcast. Today, we continue our conversation with my friend, Dr. Clarence Schuler. We're going to talk about mentoring, but diving deeper into cross-cultural friendships and their impact on our lives and those around us. You know, I haven't read the whole book called Life-Changing Cross-Cultural Friendships because it just I just got it recently. But tell me, how do we multiply this? How, how do we, what are the keys to seeing this happen? Because I'm convinced my, my brothers and sisters of a darker hue, man, I, I just hear over and over again, we just want to talk. We just want to be heard. We just, yeah. let's, let's communicate. So how do we... How do we break some of these barriers and resolve, so especially in the church and as brothers and sisters in Christ? Well, the church has been more quiet than almost any other organization. I think, you know, one thing Gary and I have done, and one thing God's really convicted me of is that we have to take initiative. Hmm. The same way we try to share the gospel, of course, we're sharing less of the gospel these days, too, seems like. But I think we have to take the initiative. The same way Gary saw potential in me and shared the gospel and through God's grace, I received. And then he began to pour everything he knew into me. The same thing we do, the same thing like your kids. You invest in your kids. You invest right. in your wife. And so it becomes a natural thing. And what I do in my neighborhood, I, I go to my neighborhood with my books. And I say, hey, I've written some books. Uh, just tell me if you like the cover. Tell me if you like the content. If you like it, don't like it. Will you come back and talk to me about it? Or can I come back over? And it's a great way to meet neighbors. Yeah, the books talk about Jesus. And it's just a real informal way. And they come and they seem to appreciate it. And they come back and talk. And so even my non-Christian neighbors, like they'll run out like the other day when guy said, uh, hey man, I just ordered your book, you know, the one you have. And he he didn't even know Jesus for us, I know, but but we have this relationship and respect. And he said, Anything I have is yours. You need my truck. Wow. I mean, he's not a believer. And we're just yeah. trying to just be friends. And so yeah. um but I think we as Christians need to take the initiative, take the risk, like Jesus did with a woman at the well, to even be rejected. And right. even rejected the first time with some tact and grace, have staying power and say, hey, I'd really like to get to know you or just say hello and see what God does with that. Because sometimes just saying hello opens the door for a conversation. That's right. And, and then you never know what God's going to do. It. I think the other thing we need to do, Mike, is pray for God to give us divine opportunities mm -hmm. to have yeah. cross-cultural friendships. Well, we can have an open mind. We learn from each other. I don't think politics, I don't think different theories is where we need to start in relationships. But I think just saying hello and being courteous and being kind to people. And I love the disarming question of, hey, tell me your story. Just tell me something about yourself. When we start finding the common ground that we can stand on, that will get larger as we fellowship together and communicate and invest in each other and hang out together. And so th that's that's the win, I think, is finding that common ground as opposed to focusing on what we would be in difference of opinion about. Yeah. And I think once we have that relationship, then we can disagree. But and as long as our friendship is more important than all this other stuff. Um, well, you know, when we were first time I met you up in Boston or outside of Boston and you had your display, your spirit said you were safe for me. And, and you're, you're kind of an outgoing guy anyway, but your spirit said to me, you were safe. And you and I don't even remember, but you initiated a conversation with me because I don't necessarily go in over places and trust people who don't look like me. And that's terrible. That's, that's been my background. Sure. But you initiated a conversation with me and you were nice. And you said, hey, this and that. And we talked and you said, hey, would you ever come here? And I'm like, and you treat me with respect. 
Hmm. And I said, wow, I kind of like that guy. And that's all I said, you know, but then, but then you invite me to come down and speak a couple of times. And what you may do normally, Mike, is what the rest of us need to do that may be uncomfortable. So I think we may need to become uncomfortable, you know, get comfortable being uncomfortable. But, but I think God yeah. calls us to do that. One, we're going to share the gospel. Sure. And, and if we're going to have friends, uh, we, need, we need to show ourselves friendly. And, and right. here's one thing. I think almost everybody wants to be loved. Yep. And I think almost everybody will respond to God's love. And so that's kind yeah. of my, my agenda. And if I can say, sir, to somebody or make them feel good or leave a nice tip for the maid the day before. And so next day, if I run into her, she'll say, you know, about the, she'll talk about the tip. And I say, well, you know, uh, I know you're working really hard. And I say, you know, I'm a Christian and God says we need to reward hard work. And so I just wanted to do that and just let you know, I appreciate that. And then that starts a conversation. She's like, wow. And then you get to talk to people about Jesus in your room where they're cleaning the room. I mean, so I just try and do that. Or if I'm flying on a plane, you know, so anyway, I'm, I'm rambling. So, <laughs> no, but that's okay because it, it, here's it's that sort of behavior and mindset that sometimes needs to be passed along in the mentoring relationship. Mm -hmm. And, and people need to hear, okay, well, I, I want to have the types of relationships and the types of influence and the types of, quite honestly, the stories that, that you know, you know, Clarence comes and tells me, well, I got to share the gospel with a, with a flight attendant or, or, you know, a guy was sitting beside on a plane. Well, everybody wants to have those stories. Well, how do you get there? Well, we need to be with people mm -hmm. who can mm -hmm. teach us how they do what they do and how they, you know, you something you just said just a moment ago, we've got to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Man, I, I think that's part of our challenge in our culture at large, but specifically in the church. We're we're yeah. awfully comfortable in the church, and we're not going to put ourselves in an uncomfortable place in order to be a herald of the gospel. I mean, our, our thought is, hey, I'm saved. I got what I need. I'm not worried about anybody else. And that's not how yeah. we're called to live. Right, right. Well, you know, I, I met with two pastors yesterday for lunch of this mega church, and they want to do diversity. And so they asked me, and so I said, well, why do you want to do diversity? And they kind of had this blank look. And I said, well, where have you failed? And they shared, well, we had this, and people walked out, and we brought this black guy to preach. And, and, I, and, and I said, well, you have to understand your audience. You have to understand the Christian conservative evangelical mind. And then yeah. you had to figure out the same way, how you're going to share the gospel, what's important. And so we began to talk about these things, and I said, well, the first thing you guys need to do is find people in church in your leadership and your lay people who to pray about this and then see how yeah. God's going to move. But instead of thinking it's not going to happen overnight, understand it may be three, five years before you see major things as, and, but you want to build, you want to create a safe place because a lot yeah. of people in majority culture have a fear of the unknown. And so you got to deal with what those fears are and help to become comfortable sort of being uncomfortable. And then for yep. those who are African-American or Hispanic going to your church, you need to sit down and talk to them and say, hey, we need your help, but how can we minister to you as well? So everyone has a responsibility. And uh, and, and I think it's really important. And, and they say, we never thought about this. And I say, so yeah, yeah. You, you've got to really understand what you're saying and how you're saying it and when you're saying it, but it has to be guided by the Holy Spirit and prayer and the Word of God. Yeah, absolutely. Let, let me, so there's a, there's a concept that, comes to mind, and I, I know sometimes majority culture, white folks, white churches, will practice tokenism, and mm -hmm. and and I want to be careful where 
the guy I was talking to in Raleigh, he said, you know what? Every time there's something that happens in the African-American community, the church calls me and wants to know. And they, then they check the box. Well, I've talked to my black friend about yeah, what's going yeah. on. And so I know what to do. And there, there's a tension that grows because that feels like someone's being used as opposed to the relationship is true and deep and it's growing bigger than one or two token relationships. And I, I hope I'm not offensive in the way that I'm saying that or bringing that up, but I do think that's part of how we deal with things. And we've got to work. Part of this being uncomfortable is working beyond the tokenism to get to know people at a deep level at times other than the crisis moments when we feel like we've got to check a box. Am I, well, am yeah, I no, I think, I think that's or? really true. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like, I have a dear friend here who's really big into discipleship. And when he calls me about, he wants me to talk to somebody, even before he says it, I know they're African-American because if yeah. they're white, he's going to go ahead and deal with them. He's going because he does discipleship. So he deals with people having problems, and all kinds of stuff like that. And, uh, and so one time he says, I want you to talk to so-and-so. And I said, so he's black, right? He said, yeah, how'd you know? I said, well, you probably don't realize, but the only time you called me to talk to somebody is a black person. Yeah. And he, and he, had, just, he had no idea he was doing it. And I said, I'm okay with that. But if they were white, you wouldn't even send them to me because you're a mature Christian. You would just deal with them. And so I say, so it's really not so much about skin color. It's about spiritual maturity and understanding right. God. I said, now there is a place. And we talk about in the book where there, a black guy built a friendship with some black, some white, a white pastor built friendship with black pastors and they saw each other on a weekly basis. So when, you know, Ahmaud Aubrey came up, George right, Floyd, right. sure. He could call him and say, Hey, you know, what should I do? But and that, that was, was out of genuine relationship. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So, so I think there's a fine line there. You have to do that. And like even a church that called me the other day when they brought this hired gun in from another church, great preacher, but out of state. I said, one, he's an outsider. I said, sometimes the worst thing a white church can do is bring a black person in to speak about being black. I said, mm -hmm. have him come in and talk about something that's not race right. related and see him as an authority in the word and build a relationship. Then he can come back later and talk about that when he when there's a trust or there's somewhere of a relationship and people say, okay, I know him. He's not just coming to beat me up. And so I think those are really uh, things I talked to this other group about. They said, we had no idea. And I said, and no. I said, well, I understand that it's not your fault, but in the future, you need yeah. to think from this perspective. And this is where we get to the worth thing, because mm. the message that they're sending to that pastor that they're bringing in is we value you for your skin color and what you can say in this situation, not for the, the understanding and the capacity to share this spiritual truth with our congregation beyond racial reconciliation. And so this is where we begin to value people beyond what goes skin deep. Well, you know, it's, it, again, in the book, uh, when you get to it, and you may have read this part, but there was a, there was a white guy, we're at this men's ministry thing. And, um, and the guy comes up to me and said, Hey, um, I like you to become friends with you. I said, okay. He says, uh, I really, it's really important to have a black guy in my life. And I'm kind of a radical and uh, I have issues. And so the bad part of me, but my my ultra ego, Leroy said, uh, "Well, if you need somebody black, anybody black will do. You don't necessarily need me." <laughs> but but what he didn't tell me, he said, which I found out later, over a year later, he said, "You know, there are black guys who've always spoken into my life because we 
we had a church in the suburbs and somehow we started going to the inner city and these guys spoke into my life. And yeah. so I always want to have, and I said, well, that's a totally different comment than what you said initially. And uh, we became best friends are really good friends. In fact, God used him to really physically save my life one time. Wow. And so, uh, so, so it's, so we have this great relationship now, but I had to be convicted that, um, even in his ignorance from my perspective, he had a good heart. And so God convicted me. I went to him and apologized a year later because it took a while to God to get to my heart. And then we started <laughs> doing some things together and, and then eventually he shared some principles with me that actually saved my life. So, uh, so we both as the African-American, as we have, we both need to grow. And that's the value in relationships, uh, especially cross-culturally. Yeah, absolutely. Now, so I'm going to um, go back to just kind of a, a pure mentoring discipleship question here. Yeah. How long does a mentoring relationship or discipleship last? I think about seasons and, you know, intentionality with this that, you know, when does it begin? When does it end? How do we, is it ever over? Um, I just love to get people to speak to how, how do we do this? Cause some people are very formal about, well, I've discipled this guy because I spent 13 weeks and I went through, you know, Romans with him or whatever. So, well, from my perspective and just the way I was taught, so we can blame Gary Chapman for this. Okay? <laughs> um, but when Gary discipled me and as he continues to disciple me, it's a lifelong thing. Right. And he has publicly said to people, all that I have is yours. Yeah. And so for people I disciple, I'm really close to my spiritual sons. Sure. All that I have is theirs. Yeah. And so, uh, and so I have a lifelong ministry with them. Now, what Gary has done with me and what I do with them, uh, I kind of let them initiate that. I mean, Gary, to us, we might go through a certain period, 13 weeks or 20 weeks or something, through some material maybe. But then after that, it's kind of, I kind of leave that up to them. Now, if yeah. I think they're struggling in marriage, I might say, how you doing? But I have had some mentoring deals where I just will spend four or five weeks, will do something uh, at this person's request, and then they'll call me as they need me. Right. But it's not where I've committed my whole life to them and their right. family, you know, but these guys, my spiritual sons I have four spiritual sons and they have everything I have. And two are two are what one's white, one's in Ukraine, two are African-American. Wow. You know? So um, but for them, all I have is theirs. And, and Brenda embraces that as well. So that's really important, too. Yeah. So your wife now, how does. How does Brenda respond to the fact that you are investing in these young guys? And is she modeling that and mirroring that on the on the other side with girls? I mean, you've got daughters, so I know you both invested in them, her probably a little bit differently than you did. But how, how does this work with your wife being supportive of this and how she responds to your investment in these young guys? Well, you know, when I tell her I want to meet with someone, it's always to get her approval. Yeah. You know, and we talk about is it discipleship? Is we just hanging out? Or am I mentoring? And what does that look like? But like one thing she did, like with my girls, she said, Hey, you know, you need to spend time with these girls, discipling your girls. And she said, I'm not gonna be involved. Right. And so so we just spent a, a summer that was really priceless for all of us, where we just spent time in the word doing stuff. Because every summer I'm teaching them basketball and tennis, we're spending time together. But it just is just really important. So she made sure that I had that 
not just quality time, but quantity time. Right. Because really quality time comes out of quantity time. Exactly. So so that's really important. So we we talk about that and who can become a spiritual son and, and all stuff like that. And when we've made some errors and one guy wanted to be a spiritual son, I, I you know, and I violated something I shouldn't have done. And, and we're still friends, but he's not in that spiritual son category. Yeah. And so uh, and usually I have them ask me if that's what I want or or, you know, so it depends. So um, but for most of my relationship, sometimes it's, it's a lifelong relationship. Yeah. And but so it sounds like there are maybe layers or levels of engagement and how much of yourself you give to this. And, um, I get, I get the sense that you would always be open to receiving a call or answering a question for someone that you've walked with, but it may not be as closely with some as it has been with others. Yeah. Well, because I speak and travel a lot, especially my girls were younger. If they call me, I may be speaking, I may pull their phone out while I'm on a platform and answer a phone. Because yeah. they always have to have access to me. Well, my spiritual sons have that same deal. Wow. And so and so if I don't pull up on the pulpit, I you know, I, I will as soon as I get down somewhere and all my girls say, Dad, don't do it anymore. So 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 but as soon as I can, I respond to them right away. Where if it's someone who I'm mentoring and it's not this lifelong relationship, I get back to them as soon as I can, but it may not be like right, you know, like an emergency. Yeah. So, so, so again, there, there are levels to that. We discuss that. I don't really necessarily tell them about my discipleship stuff if I'm just mentoring them, but I have availability to them. And, and well, it we sounds like of, you set clear expectations for yeah, folks so they, they yeah. know what to expect of you, and you probably give them some expectations. I mean, if they're not going to bring their A game to oh, yeah. a time that you're going to spend together, then, you know, uh, how much time are you going to invest in them? Well, I just kind of tell them when they come to me, I say, if you're not going to reproduce, we can be friends, but I can't do this level in you because yeah. I, I need my spiritual grandbabies before I go to heaven. And so, uh, <laughs> and so they, and so, and one guy, we're really close. He said, man, that really offended me the first time you said that. Well, I'm thinking this guy's professional. He does all this stuff. I didn't think he really cared, but, but he really wanted to have a close relationship with me. And so we've had to work at making sure we have lunches to sit down and talk. And and because I just didn't think, I mean, I'm thinking this guy's really secure and who he is. But I really want to spend time with me. He said, but he said, that offended me that you told me that. And said, and as soon as you stopped working with me and you taught me everything and I made a disciple, you were gone. <laughs> I said, well, <laughs> I well, said, you take well, the training wheels off of the bike at some point, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. So I, and so uh, and so I said, man, you never. And then I and so I said, well, I learned something. And so now yeah. I need to ask better questions. I need to ask more questions. So, and it's yeah. a process for them. It's a process for me as well. So this, your conversation about spiritual sons makes me think of first uh, Corinthians four fifteen. It says, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers because I became, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's Paul talking to Timothy about this same concept of spiritual fatherhood. But to have someone who sees us as a spiritual son and is willing to commit to that level as a spiritual father, that's a unique relationship. Yeah, 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 it is. It is. And and, and just as, and like you said, because it's such a unique relationship, I have to have Brenda's approval or permission. And and there are things, too, like my kids are grown, so I have more time to do that. So, so there are little things you had to put in practice. You know, God's got to be first, your wife's second, your kid's. And then the ministry. So we just have a lot of have conversations over here on the same page. So I'm not violating my commitments 
still doing something else. So, so as long as we have that conversation, it makes a big, it makes a big difference. Well, I'm going to ask you if you got a final comment or anything to say to guys, a, a word of encouragement. And I'll, I'll just say we will put links specifically to, to your books and your website and, uh, and those sorts of things in the, the show notes for this podcast. But um, any final comments, Clarence, about um, investing in other men, especially in the cross-cultural cultural space? I just think when we invest cross-culturally, we really get to see uh, that we're equals. And I think when we see we're equals, we, I think we treat people differently. As opposed to saying all people this color, that color, that, we, we see differently. And even if we disagree politically or something else, it's not that important. And I think it makes us or helps us become less prejudiced. And I think it lowers the racial tension in America. And I think we as Christians need to lead out on that. But I also know, Mike, there are guys in our own race who don't have friends. And so I would, I would pray and ask God, would you provide a friend for me that I can develop that? And so you build a relationship. Don't run from conflict. Uh, if you have f- conflict, talk through it and work through it because work through that conflict correctly can actually make you closer. And help and give you more insight and better understanding. So those are the things I would say. You know, take a risk. You know, for for God's sake, because He loves us. Let's be obedient and let's go change the world. Amen. I love it. Well, brother, God bless you. Thank you so much for your time and just for your willingness to invest in it and and the way you uh, share so humbly and truthfully and transparently. I, you just bless me, brother. So thanks so much for being with us. Folks, this is going to end this episode of the Nobleman Podcast with Clarence Schuler. So I'm just so thankful uh, that you tuned in and we will look forward to catching up with you next week for the next episode of the Nobleman Podcast. God bless you, folks. Take care. Mm-hmm.